This program does not provide medical advice. We assume no liability for the information provided on MindForce Radio. Please consult your physician before beginning any exercise or nutrition program. This is Roger LaPointe, and I have known Bob Whalen for many years at this point, and he is one of the most intense individuals you will ever meet. Go MindForce Radio. From Mind Force Radio, this is Natural Strength Night with Maximum Bob. On Natural Strength Night, we don't talk about the other things Bob likes to talk about. Tonight, we only talk strength training. When I say strength training, I don't mean training like punk-ass goons in the muscle magazines who jacked up on juice, steroids, and PEDs. I mean natural strength. Strength built on good food, heavy weights, and no shortcuts. If you want to learn about real natural strength, weight training the right way, the old school way, stick around. Bob and his friends just might teach you something. He's here, the host of Natural Strength Night, Maximum Bob Whalen. On tonight's show, we have my good friend Joe Aben talking lower rep, high-intensity training, how to make homemade kefir, and a whole bunch of interesting subjects. We also have our U.K. correspondent, Ted Harrison, talking about definiteness of purpose. Up next is Joe Aben. Joe is a leader in the new school of strength and conditioning pros. He's also one of the nicest and most honest guys in the field. Joe was a client of mine for over two years in Washington, D.C., and he gained a massive amount of strength. He put on over 30 pounds of solid muscle doing hit the way I usually do it, lower rep hit. So we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. Uh, Joe graduated from the University of Virginia where he was a standout football player. A neck injury sidelined his college career a year early. When Joe first met me, we were originally going to get him to try out for an NFL team. Joe is one of the best and toughest clients I've ever trained. He worked brutally hard, and anything I threw at him, he took it without any complaints, and he loved every minute of it. Joe had the record in the farmer's walk, too. It went back and forth between him and Al Coleman and Dan Senadoza. Joe made fitness his profession, and he started his own personal training facility in the uh, Annapolis, Maryland area, which is not that far from Washington, D.C., his facility is called Excellence in Fitness, and Joe has grown into an empire. He's got several branches of it now, and he's, uh, he's, he's really got big. He has won many awards over the last several years as the best personal trainer in Southern Maryland, and I got a list of uh, awards he's won, uh, too numerous to mention. So be sure to check his website. It's excellenceinfitness.com, and uh, really listen to Joe. He's got a lot of great information. Hey, Joe, you there? I am, Bob. Thanks for having me on the oh. show. Oh, you're welcome, Joe. It's great hearing from you again. When I first met you, you were just out of college, right? I was. 
and you went to University of Virginia, and you uh, you played football there, and uh, you were coached under John Gamble there, right, strength coach? Absolutely. And when you first came to me, your original plans were to get a pro football trial. Yeah, and, and actually what ended up happening was that I was injured my last year that I was playing at University of Virginia, and I, I wasn't able to play, so I got a medical red shirt, uh, but I really just still had a desire to play. And uh, coming to you, uh, you know, I, uh, you sort of convinced me, you said, you know, you, sh- you should think about trying out for a professional team. And, and I went through a, probably a, two years of really hard, heavy training with you. Uh, never, never actually went and, and did that because, uh, you know, I ended up getting married and, uh, you know, starting uh, business and everything. But, uh, but that's what got me in the shape, and I feel like what we did together in D.C. then uh, for that two-year period at least really was able to get, get me in shape if I was you know, going to do that, but I never did end up doing that. That's really cool, though, how you get into the fitness industry as a professional, just like Al. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think when I was going to see you, I was still uh, training people in their homes, going to, you know, doing some, some clinics and everything like that, and uh, – and and I was definitely coming to you for a lot of advice that I wanted to do what you were doing, was have you know people come to see you and and have a uh, my own studio and everything too. Yeah, if you're doing this as a business and you're in strength training, it's a lot lot better. I mean, it's really the only way you can do it. Uh, you know, if you really want to do it right, is to have them come to you. And that's if you're in strength training, because if you're in just fitness. Yeah, then you can go to their house because you can always make something up with fitness. You can have them jump up and down, run up and down, to do jumping jacks, you know, whatever you want. Because <laughs> you know, like, all you're really trying to do is keep them fit and burn calories so you can do it. But if it's strength training and you want an organized workout, you, you know, you, pretty, you have to be consistent with the equipment. And you can't, just, you can't just make something up at the last minute. And Sometimes you go to a client's house and they don't have any – they have crappy equipment, you know. So – I guess it can be done, but it's not going to be done well. If you want to do it well, they got to come to you. But uh, how would you describe your personal strength training philosophy, Joe? Well, Bob, you taught me quite a bit, um, and and even getting back with the with those machines, I I mean, and, and I feel like this whenever I go like uh, away to a, a hotel or vacation or something like that, it's like you have to have the tools. To, uh, to really uh, use, especially if what I personally believe in is high-intensity training, um, so high-intensity strength training. Uh, and really with that, that obviously can be applied to free weights and, and other machines, but uh, essentially the way that I feel my personal philosophy is, uh, you know, obviously natural, anti-steroid, but also uh, high-intensity uh, going to failure, um, one set to failure typically, but also with uh, using those large uh, muscle groups, uh, big movements, but typically done on machines. And when I say machines, the good machines, the, the like some of the older Nautilus machines, Medex machines, um, even the hammer strength machines, uh, pendulum even that I use, and those are like the tools that are that I feel are like as far as like my philosophy goes gets. Uh, myself, and also the clients that we work with now are the best results possible and the safest as well. Yeah, that's right. Because when, when you're working with clients, that's what you've got to put number one is their safety. 
in the field right now, there's a lot of um, different definitions for HIT or high-intensity training. Like, what is your definition of HIT, Joe? Well, like I mentioned, I mean, there, there, and like you mentioned, there are a lot of different definitions for that, and people can see that. Uh, I, I want to mention something too that you know, people say, like, oh, like, oh, CrossFit's high-intensity training. I don't think CrossFit's high-intensity training at all. High-intensity training to me is uh, doing one set to failure, and the two other things that dictate intensity the most are going to be the rest or actually the lack of rest in between each exercise that you do, typically bigger movements, um, and then also the effort that you put out on that exercise, uh, meaning that, like, if you stop at 12 reps and you could do 15 reps, well, that's not high intensity. You want to go to you absolutely cannot perform any more repetitions within good form. And those are really the things that I feel dictate, and that's my definition of high-intensity training. Um, that rest, I mean, we talked about this a lot, even when we were training that, that together, that the um, some, some clients may come in and they only may need, you know, 25 minutes of a workout where others need and that aren't as in good a shape may need longer because they have to take longer rest in between each exercise. But my definition is as soon as possible, as soon as you're ready, as soon as you can get to the point where you're taking like three seconds between each exercise. Now, sometimes that's not doable, but whenever you can set up the exercises beforehand and go from one exercise to the next, you do that in a matter of like 20 minutes and take very little rest during those big movements then you're done. That's all you need. And some of the best workouts of my life uh, with you as well as, you know, by myself or with some of the staff here at, uh, at my business have been 18, 19 minutes long. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, some of the hardest workers that I've had only need one set. And Absolutely. When, I usually, when, I, when I explain to people that when I, I train my beginners usually with two sets because they don't know how to – Trained. They don't know. They don't know what failure is, and it takes them a while to understand what it is. Just like you said, sometimes they they stop at eight when they could have done ten or they could have done twelve. Well, I give them that second set just to make sure they're getting their money's worth and getting some exercise out of it. But some of the harder workers, like you and Al Coleman, I remember on some of the exercises like one-legged deadlift. I mean, you'd be so wiped out after that first set. Sometimes we just skip the second set because you. You, after the first set, you were so wiped out that you probably were physically unable to do a second set. Absolutely right. Um, is a learning thing that definitely have seen that even with my personal, you know, personal training, but then also with the with the clients that we see here that they they it takes sometimes two months, especially if they don't have really any exercise experience to teach them what going to failure actually means because they have no idea what that means. Um, but once you do, then, yeah, you can, you know, drop it down, do that one set, um, but, um, you know, briefer, less uh, frequent, uh, but more intense exercise. Uh, this is something that I always read about old Arthur Jones books and, and even anybody talking about any, regardless of their philosophy on high-intensity training, 
is that they they there's a uh, there's, as you get stronger, as you get more efficient, as you get uh, as you build more lean muscle, you typically do less exercise because you learn how to work more efficiently. So maybe you start with doing two sets of 12 exercises, and then two years later, because you've gotten so much better, you've gotten so much stronger, you've added muscle, that now you're doing one set of only eight exercises. So more is not always better when it comes to that. Uh, it's just more efficient. What type of system do you use, Joe, for poundage progression? That's, that's, a, good, that's a very good question. So... So how we typically do it, and as far as I personally do it too, is because what we do as far as like the progression is we progress in a lot of different ways, but as far as poundage progression goes, what influences that quite a bit is the order of the exercises in which you're doing it. So the, the way that I see it is that if you're doing an exercise, and let's say you're doing an exercise, uh, you're ending with an exercise. If you're ending with an exercise and you're pretty much wiped out and it's the last one you're doing, and, and let's just say it is a leg exercise, even though we do typically start with uh, legs, but let's say we do do a leg exercise at the end there. If you can get a minimum of eight repetitions when you're tired on a particular exercise and that's within good form, then you can add weight. Now, when I say add weight, it depends on the exercise. It's a, if it's a bigger movement like a squat or, a, um, or something of that nature, you can add, you know, two and a half, maybe five pounds. If it's a smaller movement, we don't really do a lot of small movements, but if it's a smaller range of motion, we might not add quite as much, but it just depends on the body group, that, the body part that you're working as well or the muscle group that you're working um, or the muscle groups too, because when you're doing something like that, you definitely can progress there. But I typically use that for an eight rep minimum when you're tired, though. If you're starting with the exercise, let's say you're starting with the squat and you can do 20 reps, well, I'm definitely going to be adding probably 10, 15, maybe even 20 pounds the next exercise, the next time you do that exercise. Um, but it just, it, there's a few factors in there, but typically that's the way that I do it at the eight rep mark if you're tired and you get that well. Do you think going to failure is always necessary or is it a, uh, a more time efficient way to train? That's a great question. I think it really depends on the individual. Now, me personally, when I work out, and I'm sure you're the same way, Bob, uh, but um, we're all busy. We're all real busy. So um, the way that I look at it is if I only have a half hour to work out, I am and twice a week, let's say. Now, I might work out more than that, but let's say I only have two times a week a half hour to work out. I am going to go to absolute failure on every single exercise and just push push as much as I can, knowing that if I can only get those two workouts in, then that's that's good that's satisfactory as far as like what I need to do to get those weekly requirements in. Now I can mm-hmm. tell you that some of the clients that we work with, they come in three times a week. They're not as experienced. So they may come be coming in three times a week, but we might take two of those workouts where we are going to failure and then one workout where we're, you know, not necessarily going to absolute failure. 
but at the same time, they're doing something that's, um, that is not necessarily, let's say, burning calories, but still keeping them in and getting them some additional exercise rather than mm-hmm. just having them do nothing. Almost like a beginning motor learning workout. Exactly right. And that's how we use it. And that's, you know, it's funny because a lot of our clients that we see here at Excellence in Fitness, they they actually progress just like I did, just like the staff does and, and has, uh, meaning that they might start with three one-hour workouts and then progress and go to three half-hour workouts per week. Um, and then they actually progress and go to two half-hour workouts per week. And I, and I use the word progress because just like I mentioned earlier, as you get more efficient, as you get stronger, as you lose body fat, gain lean muscle, you, you need less to maintain that because your body has, and you've figured out and learned how to work out more efficiently, how to work out harder, how to go to failure. Um, and that's typically sort of the progression that we would take some, someone through if we were just first starting with them. That's exactly right. Like when you spend your whole life training, if you spent 30, 40 years, it, it doesn't take much to maintain. It's like uh, when you dig a well. I mean, when you, when you initially dig the well, you've you got to dig and dig and dig and dig and dig forever. But when you finally hit water, when you, when you finally hit water, just a couple of, couple of pumps on the, uh, on the pump handle and you've got water there forever, you know. So the, <laughs> the, the earlier you start training, the, the better results you're going to get. So, you know, if you start out in your 20s and you're lifting hard through your 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and then – Probably in my 20s, I did overtrain, but, you know, now uh, when I train myself, I do just about always now for the last several years. I've been doing one set to failure. Absolutely. Five, five to seven exercises, but I count little things, too, because, I mean, I, I do wrist roller, and, uh, you know, I like to add these little things on there that most people skip, you know. But as far as the big Definitely. compound movement, I, I do a compound vertical and horizontal push and a, and a vertical horizontal pull. So there's four right there. And then I do a major leg movement. I usually alternate squat and deadlift each. You know, so five of the movements are going to be major compound. And then I usually have a couple of things I'll add in there, like an ab movement, um, like one day a week sit-ups, one day a week leg lifts or something like that. And then the other thing I'll throw in some kind of grip work. But I consider wrist roller grip work, even though it's not necessarily grip, but it's forearms. And that's my favorite grip work thing to do. I love the wrist roller. So I usually do that twice a week, one day with my palms up and one day with my palms down to get both sides of the forearm. But sometimes I don't move my palms up and down. They just switch the rope because a lot of times people, people don't realize this, but all you're going to do is flip it over so that the rope's on the opposite side. So if yeah. the rope is yeah, – like you don't have to do it palms up and palms down. It took me years to realize this. But if you have the rope face <laughs> – if the rope is on the same side as you and you're doing it with your palms down, it's going to work the bottom of your forearm. And then you flip it over, and if the rope's on the other side, even if your palms are down, it's going to work the top of your forearm. But I usually do it, you know, switch it back and forth every other uh, every other workout. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, going to failure is, is, is the most time-efficient way, and it's the way I do it all the time now, too, because you just train hard and get it done. When you get older, to stay in shape and stay as strong as ever, you can you can you can stay as strong as ever with uh, you know half an hour workout twice a week. Yeah, and, 
and I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it either. When I say, like, work it out for 20 minutes or a half hour, I mean, it's hard work. I mean, but the half-hour workouts that we do here are much more intense and much harder than the hour workouts that we do. Um, just because you're condensing that and you're going to absolute failure, you're reducing, you're like taking very little rest between each exercise. So, um, I mean, like the, uh, like a, a book that I recently read, uh, I think Arthur Jones said this, if you like exercise, chances are you're doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but when you're done, you love it. But when, when I'm going through it, you know, sometimes I'm cussing out the guy I'm working with or whatever, uh, but then I'm thanking him after I'm done because I know that I couldn't, you know, uh, push like that if I were on, on my own there, and that's what it takes. The way I do it now, truthfully, I, I, I do take a little rest between each exercise. Like when I, I, I don't um, – but I, but I go to failure, you know. I, I experiment on different things. And uh, the way I do it now is – when I'm doing the exercise, I go to failure, and the last rep I'm shaking on. I can't. There's no way I can do another one. And then sometimes I'll even pause, and I'll do like a. I'll do it again. I'll, I'll pause and take like three or four deep breaths, and then try again to go to failure, and then and then go to the next exercise. But I don't run to the next machine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 I'll leisurely walk now. You know, I don't run to it. You know. I'll, I'll leisurely well, walk and take deep breaths. I'll take my time and try to get my strength back, and then, and then uh, don't waste too much time. But you know, I, I, don't, I don't sprint, and then I get to the next machine and do the same thing again. And I, I definitely go to failure, and I, I usually even try another one after I can't, after I think I'm at failure. And um, but the one thing I do differently than a lot of people is, I like to go to failure with lower reps because I want to be in the energy system for the. Uh, uh, you know, for strength, speed, and power. I, I believe in that, but I, I have nothing against what everybody, anybody else does. I occasionally will do high reps to failure, for like for legs, but upper body I'm talking about. Usually upper body, I go to failure between 8 and 12 reps, and that's failure, and then that's it. I'm done. If I can do more than, like, 10 or 12 reps, I, I put more weight on the bar. I'll even go a little bit lower, especially for upper body. And even mm-hmm. and I don't beat myself up too much about this, especially if I'm working out with uh, with somebody else. Is that if I don't get you know eight, nine, ten reps, and I know that I've worked as hard as I could, but I only get let's say six reps, then mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. But yeah, I'm I'm usually for upper body if I'm working out by myself. And there's a big difference too, like you said. I mean, I'm not sprinting from each each exercise to each exercise, uh, but. Uh, but, yeah, I usually go a little bit lower with the upper body when I'm working out by myself. Um, uh, you know, it's six to eight repetitions I like to stick uh, within. Um, and even, if I, I don't know, it's just I use a, a slower speed. Typically when I say slower speed, I mean maybe like uh, a three-second positive, three-second negative. Um, uh-huh. versus, like, uh, some other uh, individual might use super slow or, uh, you know, like just, uh, you know, getting up there, like, uh, you know, one and one or something like that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I definitely think that there's a big difference, too, between working with someone else and that's familiar with HIIT doing the same workout. And that's what we typically do here when we work out, like, together as a staff or something. I grab somebody. Um, we'll go, one person will go first, and then the other person will go. 
Uh, but we go through like 20 minute workouts with each other, and we're pushing. We're like, come on, let's go. You're right on the next exercise, and you get, you know, six, even five, six exercises. If I work out by myself, though, I will go to positive failure, but then whenever possible, I'll try to go to negative failure as well. Whereas if you're working out with somebody else, that you can actually go and hit that positive failure mark a lot easier. Um, whereas, like, you're done, you still have, if you're working out by yourself, you still have some, some left. Even though you've gone through positive failure, you might still be able to do that. For instance, like chin-ups or something like that. If you're doing chin-ups, you can't pull yourself up or, uh, over the bar anymore, but you can lower yourself down. So you can, you know, hop up, put a bench there, hop up on there, do, you know, finish the set to pot, to negative failure to get, you know, three or four negatives after you've exhausted yourself on the positive uh, phase of repetition. I'm a lower rep guy. Most of my life, truthfully, I mean, I've done lower reps. And what you just said right there is, is pretty much the same with me, too. When I train clients, because a lot of times I when I explain things, there's a difference between you and clients, right? But... There well, I, I usually have I have clients do upper body more like, you know, 8 to 12. or But for me, you know, my, mine's usually definitely lower than 12. Mine is usually 6 to 8, to tell you the truth. But um, I, yeah. I, I do lower I do lower rep hit, which is uh, it, it's my own thing, you know. But uh, I, I, you can go to failure at 6 to 8 reps, and that's it. And uh, if you can't do any more... Take five deep breaths, try one more, you're done, you know. But the, I, I like to have it with heavy weight, so upper body-wise. And then I don't always do 20 reps on squats either. I did, if you did that all year long, you'd probably get burned out with it. So I, I switch it around. I do 20 a lot. And then after a few months, uh, I'm sick of doing 20. I go back down and do 10, you know, and switch it back and forth. I, I you know, I firmly believe that as far as building muscle, goes um the like like what you said and i learned that from you bob as far as that lower rep hit goes i think i like during that time period where i worked out with you and i and i tracked this pretty well i came in and i was about i think 225 when i started uh with you and i want to say maybe less than a two-year period um, with I was working out with you one day a week on Saturdays, and I was working out by myself on Wednesdays. Um, but during that, I think, two-year period or maybe even less, I put on 30 pounds of muscle. I went from 225 to 255 in that uh, time period. I, and I remember that. You were getting huge. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I think it was just from that, like, your style of like that lower rep high intensity which which I really liked and I felt like that put on and packed on more muscle not that like and I'm I'm talking about like the upper body more so I mean we, I still did you know slightly higher reps uh with the with the legs and you know 15 20 rep squats and everything like that but um but it, it, even with like the the lower the the lower time frame too, uh, time under load, um, a minute ninety seconds, something like that, uh, I think really has a true benefit to packing on adding more muscle. Whereas like the the longer time under load, like two three minutes, uh, typically uh, does more with the uh, uh, 
hate to use the word toning, but uh, uh, I, because I know you hate that, you know. <laughs> but but at the same time, like that, I, I think that's sort of what you might be doing more so rather than really building when you're doing that lower time on the load there. Well, I remember it, it's 20 years ago, but I remember what we studied energy systems and uh, exercise science, and I always remember, you know, the the muscle fiber types correlate with the energy systems and the muscle fiber types that you want the strength, speed, and power uh, are low. They're under a minute. They're around, you know, zero to 40 seconds, somewhere around there. And then it goes from 40 seconds up to about two minutes, which was more like the, uh, what, type 2A muscle fibers, and uh, it's more related to muscular endurance. And then around two minutes or so, it goes into the, you know, cardiovascular you know, system, aerobic, uh, the first two are anaerobic. But, you know, I think it, for me, it always made more sense to, I totally believe in going to failure, but it makes more sense to me to go to failure in the strength, speed, and power energy system. It's also because I'm not doing this for exercise. See, some people, um, it depends what your goal is. There's no right and wrong, but some people do this for just exercise, you know, and they, they do it more for, for bodybuilding or they do it more for overall exercise and they're trying to get the benefits of cardio and strength training at the same time or they're trying to uh you know they they don't they don't mention strength that much it's more like exercise right so but if you're doing if you're doing this for strength okay if you really want to get stronger and it's not just exercise you want to get stronger then you know my opinion is you have to be in the right energy system to do that so that's why I, for my favorite way to do hit is lower rep hit. Uh, I'm shaking at seven or eight reps, and that's it. And then go to the next thing. <laughs> exactly. And you can do and it, that. And, and the way that I use it now, too, is, I mean, you, you mentioned that. Like, I obviously, but I use it for everything because just like I'm sure, you know, I mean, Everybody's really busy, so if you only have a, 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 li- a little bit amount of time, I I really have been uh, focusing on recently with my own personal workouts, reducing that rest time in between each exercise. Because at the end of that twenty twenty five minute workout, if you're doing even if you're doing that lower rep hit, I am wiped out. Like I just like did like a, a really hard cardiovascular workout, but I didn't do any cardio at all. We'll be back with more right after this. This segment brought to you by VitalNutritionStore.com. Did you know that more than 7 million Americans suffer from coronary heart disease, the most common form of heart disease? Regardless of your age or condition, adding Cardio for Life to your daily regime will dramatically improve your cardiovascular condition. Cardio for Life has been the top-selling Enlargenine product in the marketplace now for more than three years. It is also the top-selling product at vitalnutritionstore.com. Formulated by Dr. Harry Elwart, the best-selling author of Let's Stop the Number One Killer of Americans Today, Dr. Harry believes together we can prevent and reverse heart disease. Cardio for Life comes in three wonderful flavors, orange, peach, and grape, and is gluten-free, sugar-free, and sodium-free. Please see our complete line of natural products at vitalnutritionstore.com. That's V-I-T-A-L nutritionstore.com. 
Randy Roach shocked the world with the release of his first volume of Muscle Smoke and Mirrors several years ago. It was a masterpiece of over 500 pages with such in-depth research and detail that it was not only surprising, but shocking and mind-blowing. It was truly one of the best Iron Game history books ever written. He followed that with Volume 2, another epic book with over 700 pages of equal depth and detail. All serious Iron Game fans need to have these books. Please visit Randy's website at randyroach.ca. That's R-A-N-D-Y-R-O-A-C-H dot C-A. Listen to how Iron Game legend and the Iron Master editor, Osmo Kihaw, describes the book Supernatural Strength. Have you ever wondered how much real-world experience authors have when they write books about weight training? Who is that person behind the computer? What do they really know about the Iron Game? If you picked up this book, Supernatural Strength, you have definitely come to the right place. The author, Bob Whalen, has spent several decades in the Iron Game trenches training himself, competing and coaching in powerlifting, earning academic credentials too numerous to mention, and thousands of hours of training and instructing athletes and trainees of all levels at his Washington, D.C. gym since 1990. He's not only devoted his life to motivating and pushing people to heights they have never been to, but elevating the trainees understanding why certain methods work better than others. Bob is one of the most respected and revered trainers in the business today. This book is sure to surprise and amaze you at the same time. Order now at SupernaturalStrength.com. That's SupernaturalStrength.com. Don't you think it would be so much easier getting into shape if you had a personal coach? Just like all the celebrities do. Well, now you can. Bob Whalen of WebStrengthCoach.com wants to get you out of your rut and coach you to success. He's dedicated to helping you achieve your strength and fitness goals through your hard work and his expert guidance. Bob will help you with strength training, muscle building, fitness, nutrition, and motivation. He'll make sure you achieve your maximum physical potential. You can get one-on-one training with Bob through his website webstrengthcoach.com he will develop a personalized program tailored to your individual needs a program right for you bob will give you feedback after every workout this is old school fitness and nutrition no fads and no gimmicks bob will use proven natural techniques to make sure you are satisfied so visit webstrengthcoach.com today and let bob help you reach your best self webstrengthcoach.com Do you enjoy history without social engineering? Reading about our founding fathers? Economics from a capitalist perspective? Wisdom from modern patriots? Welcome to UncleSamBooks.com, where virtues like rugged individualism, hard work, and the American dream dominate. UncleSamBooks.com. Great books for homeschooling. UncleSamBooks.com. If you want to become as strong and muscular as possible with health in mind and without lowering yourself to using steroids, the best advice can be found in the classic strongman books of long ago. These are the best books ever written on the subjects of strength training, weightlifting, strongman training, iron game history, and old-time physical culture. Many of them can still be found at physicalculturebooks.com. There you will find good, Honest, time-tested wisdom from the great old-time strongmen to maximize your natural muscular and strength potential. Please visit physicalculturebooks.com. 
Listen to Ken Manny, head strength and conditioning coach at Michigan State University, describe the book Iron Nation. A masterpiece text on some of the most intriguing and compelling personal stories, Iron Game history, and gut-wrenching training routines ever put to paper. If you truly love hard training without all the frills of pomp and circumstance so common today, you will love Iron Nation. Written by lifters for lifters. If you love weight training, you will love Iron Nation. Order now at ironnation.com. That's I R O N nation.com. If you would like to promote your business on Mindforce Radio, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know if you are interested in a 30 or 60 second voice commercial or a banner website ad. Please contact Bob using the contact information provided on mindforceradio.com. You're listening to Natural Strength Night on Mind Force Radio. When you're focusing on strength, it just it just made a lot more sense to me to uh, have it in a lower energy system, and you just I you agree. go all out. Yeah, in the last repetition, you're, you're working just as hard. It's just that you don't have to be rolling on the floor and feeling sick. I mean, see, what, what, when, when you <laughs> manipulate, you know what I mean. But you you get that because of lack of rest and high reps because you're actually turning the exercise into more than just strength. You know, but when you when you keep it focused on strength and your repetitions are lower, well, you're hardly ever going to feel like that because the reps are lower, but you're going to have a different type of a feeling. It's like you're exhausted and wiped out, but you, you don't feel sick. You just feel uh, you, you, your body is just, you know, you, you, you're just exhausted and tired. It's almost like you blew a fuse or something, you know? Exactly. So, Joe, the next Definitely. question is going to be about uh, how, how do you balance your training with pushing and pulling exercises? Well, that's a, that's a very good question because for, um, for years, and, and, Bob, I don't know if I ever thank you for this, but the model that you had described earlier with doing those two pushes, two pulls, uh, two on the horizontal plane, two on the vertical plane, that one or two big leg movements we use here at Excellence in Fitness and I use in my personal workouts um, as sort of a base to start with as far as, and then just sort of filling in the blanks with what each person, including myself, personally needs or wants to do. Um, however, we've re- we recently and have over the years just, um, you know, switched things up to, to be able to definitely, um, you know, keep it fresh but also keeping that same style of high-intensity training. But regardless of whether we're you know, doing that, the, uh, you know, those four, uh, two pushes, two pulls, and, and then one leg, um, or if we're, you know, grouping everything together, doing all the, all the pushes together, all the pulls together, um, we typically will keep a fairly balanced uh, workout for uh, both ourselves and also all of our clients balanced with the same number of push exercises to the same number of pull exercises. 
Um, however, it also depends sometimes on the type of exercise. Um, for instance, like if we're doing a pullover, a pullover, it, even though it is a pull exercise and classified as a push, uh, pull exercise, we sometimes classify that as sort of like a, uh, almost like an independent. So it doesn't really count as a push or a pull exercise. So that we might do, uh, you know, three pull exercises and then pullovers and then three push exercises. So if anything, if we're maybe imbalanced or more focused on something, uh, at least for the upper body, it would be more so for the pull exercises, your support structure, your largest muscle in your upper body, your back, not your chest. Um, and that's where we typically do. Um, but there are individuals that, want to focus on that and still have the mentality of, oh, you know, I need to work my chest more. I need to get my upper body bigger. Well, when I first started training with you and even doing that with uh, my own, uh, with my own training uh, on my own, I was doing, I was like, you know what, I'm going to switch. I'm going to just make, instead of making the bench press the focus of my workouts, I actually made like chin-ups and pullovers and rose the focus of my workouts. As soon as I started doing that, my upper body grew, just just got huge from doing that because my lats grew, my whole back, my whole upper body, my chest improved because of that. Um, so my own personal philosophy as well as the one that we use with our clients is that we typically have more pull exercises. It's de- always definitely balanced, but if we do have um, any sort of imbalances, we would be doing more emphasis on those pull exercises. Yeah, I agree with that. I usually do an even amount of push and pull, but sometimes I'll do more pull if I notice a severe imbalance. And, uh, yeah, Jamie LaBelle was big on that. Remember, he gave a few really good talks at a few of my clinics, but he uh, he has a permanent uh, philosophy of, he always trains his clients with more pull than uh, more pull than push, especially the men, because you know his philosophy is that guys are usually so addicted to the bench press and they're they, they're overdeveloped on the pushing. So he he always trains his guys you know more pulling than push. My uh, one of my favorite speakers was Jamie, um, and I remember seeing him at your clinics uh, early early on. It was the first or second one that you had there, and um, I tell you, I was so I, I liked his philosophy so much. I actually went and visited him. I believe he had a place in Long Island called the Quality Repetition. Uh, went up right. and actually got a workout with Jamie up there, uh, and this was several years ago. But uh, he was. We were definitely doing uh, pull heavy workouts. Oh yeah, he, Jamie made a lot of sense. Definitely. I haven't heard from him in a while, though. A lot of guys have kind of – Jamie's one of these guys, like Al Coleman. I haven't heard from him in years, so I hope he's doing all right. He probably is. A, a lot of people don't know this about you, Joe, but you're an expert on kefir. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time you brought me that little thing of kefir, and you said, this little thing right here is going to make you food for, like, forever. All you got to do is – you, know, you, you actually gave you, you gave me directions and told me how to pour milk on it and do all this stuff, right? So I, I had it in my refrigerator. Yeah, I did exactly what you said, and this thing was growing like a weed, and then pretty soon it was getting out of control, and I had this like monstrous, <laughs> this, this monstrous thing growing in my refrigerator. I couldn't eat it enough, 
you have to be eating kefir nonstop to keep that thing from taking over the refrigerator. But uh, <laughs> you do, you do. <laughs> remember my friend Victor? I had him call you, Joe. I do. Yeah, uh, I have a friend named Victor who has a uh, he has a, a bacterial uh, inf- infection. He's one of those uh, one of those bacteria that are like hard to stop, and you know it's not. It, and, but anyways. He's trying everything, and uh, this thing is, like, resistant, and it's scary. There's a lot of people that have these things now. This, it's, no matter what we use on it, and, you know, the, the medications don't work. But um, he's been trying every possible thing there is, you name it. Uh, and, but one of the things that have worked the best, because I had him call you, and, uh, and you gave him the kefir recipe, and now he, he's just going crazy because I think that's, that's finally knocking down the bacteria a little bit. He eats kefir every day now. That's great. Yeah, well, how do you make it? Meals? Well, the first thing that you need to start with is you have to get some quality kefir grains. Um, kefir grains uh, essentially um, are the things that produce the kefir, which is a like drinkable form of yogurt. Um, and you essentially just... Uh, ferment where you just pour milk over the kefir grains and ferment it for about 24 hours out at room temperature in a sealed like mason jar um, and then just you just pour it into like a, a colander and and uh, what comes out you know into the uh, below the colander is the kefir and then you put the kefir grains back into the uh, into the jar and then if you want to keep fermenting making more then you just pour some more milk and put it out at room temperature and just keep um, making it. The cool thing about the kefir grains, though, is that what you mentioned is they multiply. If you keep uh, fermenting them, um, but the but the I guess the the issue with doing that is that you have to first of all get uh, kefir grains from a quality source. Now, I actually recently just ordered. But more, and it takes about eight weeks to get here. Uh, and it's from a company. I don't know their exact name, but they're out of Australia. They're a small company. They actually like a home uh, farm they have, and they they I, I actually don't even know how they make them or how they get them. But um, but I know that as far as like for me, what works and what um, I always, when I, whenever I get sick, I have issues with my stomach. I literally don't have anything going on with my head or, or chest. It's more stomach stuff. So, um, uh, you know, leaky gut uh, or, um, you know, bacteria stuff, it's, it's, it's the GI stuff. Um, as soon as I started taking this kefir, now this is going back probably, I'd say, 20 years maybe 15 years that I started a, a doctor actually introduced this to me that I was training in his home. And uh, he said, oh, you, know, you, you ought to get on kefir. And I started taking this stuff, and, and actually he gave me some of these kefir grains that I used and started, and, and those same kefir grains I actually gave you, Bob, too, um, just because I started fermenting and multiplying them. But as soon as I started taking this, and I was taking this, I was maybe putting it in my – I'd say uh, a half a cup or even a cup of uh, the kefir mixed in with some other stuff and like a shake I was making in the morning. And then sometimes I even got to the point where I was like just drinking it uh, between meals or something. But uh, as soon as I started taking it, within two weeks, uh, my stomach flattened. When I say flattened, I didn't get bloated at all from anything, anything that I was eating, um, 
it was just it, it just flat. I just felt so much better, so good, and uh, uh, added benefit too. I was very regular. Um, not that I wasn't irregular before, uh, but <laughs> that really really helped as far as uh, as far as the digestion goes too. Right. Um, it just it populates your body with good bacteria. You, you meant that you, after you took Kiefer, you dropped off Democrats on a regular basis? <laughs> but anyways, what's the most important thing you're going to do is you, you pour milk on it. Because I remember, I haven't had it for a while. You gave it to me a while ago. And then after a while, I gave it away because I couldn't control it. <laughs> it was like it was taking over, that it was taking over the house. So uh, right, you basically, right. as, long, as long as you pour milk on it, the thing gets, just keeps growing, right? It does. But uh, the thing that can actually, like... Um, uh, kind of stagnate the the growth of it, which I would do sometimes because it did get out of control because I could I I could you know only give uh, so much away to like my family and friends is that uh, I would um, ferment it, um, but then instead of um, pouring it into the colander and in, into the uh, you know jar or something, I would just uh, put milk over top of it, seal it, and then put it in the refrigerator. When you put it in the refrigerator, it really does not grow. However, what I would do then is like every maybe week, once a week, I would take it out, leave it out, uh, you know, uh, I, I would um, sift it, you know, or, or uh, put it through the colander. And then if I think, if I felt like I needed more, um, I would leave it out and make another batch. But you get to the point where, and I, I would keep two separate jars. One was a big jar, almost like a glass pitcher, that I would pour the, uh, like, uh, um, have the colander um, uh, go into and put in the kefir into and keep, and I would keep that in the fridge. And then the other, the where the kefir grains were, the mason jar that I had, I would keep in the fridge if I didn't want to, you know, keep fermenting, if I had enough in the, in the, uh, in the actual like glass pitcher that I needed for just personal consumption, and that's typically what I started doing. Um, but yeah, I would say like doing that. Yeah, I ordered these from a, a company from a, a person I just emailed in Australia, and I forget. I, I honestly like I don't even know how I found it uh, because I just recently uh, ordered some more, but. Um, but, yeah, I would just say just get them from a reputable company and kefir grains. I mean, they make a lot of different things, but th- this uh, really just, you know, b- populates your, your GI tract and everything with good bacteria. It's essentially a probiotic, and it's basically the, yeah. the best probiotic that you can eat or drink uh, versus, like, hey, just taking a, a pill probiotic. Do me a favor. Write up your recipe or write up your directions. As soon as you can, uh, when you get your order and, uh, uh, you know, you have the address or the website, um, just write up a short paragraph and uh, send it to me by email. Yeah, no problem. And you're still taking it on a regular basis too, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, The reason why I ordered more was because I – Theoretically, they're never supposed to lose their potency, and they can all you know you can use them for a lifetime. Uh, what ended up happening was that um, I put it mine in the fridge. We went, I think we went away on vacation or something. Uh, the electricity went out, 
they uh, I tried to sort of regenerate them, um, but I think they just set out at room temperature for too long, um, and so I, I tasted it because you have to be careful. I mean, because it's a live bacteria uh, that you're that you're dealing with here. So um, so so I tasted a little bit, didn't taste right. Tried to make another batch that didn't taste right. So I just threw them out, and um, and it does. I mean, it's from the company that I get them from, and and I definitely will get you that name. Um, it was just an email in Australia, but they're coming. But it does take a good six to eight weeks to get them. Um, but they're again, like I said, like if you take care of them, if you do what you need to do, they can last you a lifetime, and you can make as much as you want. You can have you know a whole uh, kefir colony if you like. <laughs> That's great. And then Joe, I think we got time for one more question. So, uh, tell us about your uh, your gym, Excellence in Fitness. And b- before you get into that, I want to tell people a little quick story. My my True Squat, because people still ask me about that, because I wrote lots of articles about the True Squat in Hard Gainer. But um, I sold my True Squat because I have a different squat machine now. But Joe has that. Do you still have it? I remember you bought it off me. I don't actually. A guy from Michigan came down and um, <laughs> drove down and purchased it and bought it. And I helped them basically do the same thing that you did with me, just take it apart and take that, like, 500-pound lever arm that that thing had on it and just take it out to, oh, like, a trailer man. or something that he had brought. <laughs> that thing, remember, that thing was a bitch to get out of the gym. I don't even know how oh we got Remember, we scratched the walls all up and put gouges everywhere. I, I, I had to get someone to fix the walls after. But, I mean, uh, just getting it down, and then I had it for a long time, so I, I forgot how hard it was. But just, man, because it only comes in a couple of pieces. You can't, you can't take it apart in a bunch of little pieces like hammer strength. It's like that thing, there's only like two or three things, and it's like the base and that upright arm. I mean, it's just solid, welded one thing, and you just – at first, you think you just can't get it in, right? You say, well, I, you know, you finally figure it out. But it, you finally figure it out, but it takes hours before you're going to figure it out. And it's almost like having a workout. But I, I actually, it is. I actually, I saw, the, I, I wrote an article about it in Hardgainer, but actually I had to put a hole on the side of the wall to get the thing in in the first place, right? But uh, uh, <laughs> when Joe first came to me, um, you know, for training and everything, and then he got he got very strong and very big, and uh, and then Joe told me he was going to start his own training business. And he was he was asking me for for business advice, right? So I was trying to help Joe and tell him how to do it and how I do it and all that. And then one time Joe invited me to his house, right? So I go to Joe's house and he's showing me his stuff and he showed me his gym and everything, and I, I pull into his driveway and I see two Mercedes there, and I'm going, <laughs> and they're both like you know beautiful big you know, uh, the, the expensive models, you know, <laughs> and I'm going, Joe, who owns these two Mercedes in your yard? And then Joe goes, well, one's mine and one's my wife's. And I go, Joe, you're asking me for business advice? <laughs> Joe, Joe, you know what you're doing here. And uh, you, you won some, didn't you win awards in Maryland for best, uh, best personal trainer or something? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so we actually ended up um, from from what you had taught me, I, and and especially with like just the equipment, like you mentioned, the true squat and using the equipment and and structuring workouts um, started going from you know people's homes to having 
a small 1,500 square foot, 1,400 square foot facility, um, and then that grew. Um, probably took three years, but then after three years, opened uh, another facility that was about 2,500 square feet, um, and then we just kept adding, uh, you know, more uh, coaches and then more staff and, and more clients, and that grew and then um, moved the, uh, the, the original 1,400-square-foot uh, into a 2,800-square-foot facility. So now we've got two, uh, two big, nice facilities in, uh, in the county here in Maryland, um, and it really, really has, uh, has blossomed from, uh, from what you had mentioned and what we originally had talked about uh, in, the, uh, in your, uh, you know, I, I, I call it uh, the dungeon in, in D.C., man. That thing, I, I love going and working out there. But we had some, some great workouts and great conversations about that. But I, I really think that's where excellence in fitness and these gyms really got its start uh, with those conversations that we had there. Um, and, yeah, we had gotten uh, since then, I mean, six years in a row, uh, got voted best personal trainers in the in the. Uh, uh, Anne Arundel County, uh, Annapolis area, um, as well as best overall workout, um, uh, the best gym facilities, uh, best nutrition program. Uh, so, you know, uh, so we really have been able to uh, take what uh, what we were what we were talking about in its infancy there uh, many years ago at Wayland Strength Training into uh, and grown into. Uh, you know, a, a small empire, let's just say, of, uh, you know, quality personal <laughs> <That's great>. training. <laughs> yeah, now, give out your business name again. It's, excel- oh, oh, it's excellence in fitness, right? Correct. Now, how many, how many different locations do you have? And tell us what, what cities they're in. And it's near uh, Annapolis, Maryland. You're in the Annapolis area, right, Joe? Yes, so we have the, the two facilities. Both are in Anne Arundel County, Maryland. The one is in Annapolis, in the actual city of Annapolis. And then the other one is in Millersville, uh, which is in the same county there, Anne Arundel County. Just uh, Millersville is just slightly uh, north, heading towards more Baltimore, uh, whereas Annapolis, I guess uh, you could say, is more around, uh, you know, closer to the Washington, D.C. area. What's your website? excellenceinfitness.com and uh, okay, I'll tell you great. a quick story how we got that uh, that name uh, my dad uh, being a, a big Rush Limbaugh fan uh, back when we, we opened the uh, the first Excellence in Fitness and that was in Arnold, uh, Maryland but that was back in uh, I believe 2003, 2004 uh, there was there wasn't a bathroom in there. there. There wasn't a shower in there, and there was just a bathroom, like a toilet. And he said, you know, I'll I'll uh, I'll pony up the dough if um, if you change the name to uh, it was uh, to Pro Fitness. He said, if you call it Excellence in Fitness, so I think that really you know stands out, like Excellence in Broadcasting with Rush Had and like Excellence in Fitness. Then I'll uh, I'll um, pay for have, to have the bathroom uh, redone and everything. I said that's a deal, and so uh, we just ran with it. <laughs> I, I remember that when when you first told me that because I remember when you first were going to start the gym, you called it Pro Fitness, and then when you went to Excellence in Fitness, and then I saw your logo because it looked like E I B like Rush, except you changed right. the letters a little bit. But, uh, and, and then when you told me it was Excellence in Fitness instead of Excellence in Broadcasting. 
and how your father your father's a big Rush Limbaugh fan. I said, man, he's a great guy. <laughs> but uh, no, that, that, that's a good story, Joe. Well, I think we're going to wrap things up, Joe. And uh, it was great talking to you, Joe. Great catching up on you know, on old times, and uh, you gave us a lot of great information. So thanks for being on the show, Joe. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Coming up next is my friend and U.K. correspondent, Ted Harrison. He runs Vital Exercise. It's one of the best high-intensity training facilities in the U.K. It's a private personal coaching studio where Ted trains you one-on-one. If you live anywhere near Colchester in the U.K., you've got to go look up Ted and get some great training. For more information, go to Ted's website. It's vitalexercise.com. Hi, Bob. Thanks very much for having me on the show again. Um, Today I wanted to talk about um, another fundamental training principle. Uh, It often gets forgotten and bypassed, but it is in fact axiomatic to strength training. It's as important as last week's topic, which was proper form. I think to, to neglect this principle is a common training mistake. Um, over the years, owning gyms and training clients, I've seen you know, the lack of understanding of this principle destroy clients' progress and eventually stop them coming to the gym altogether. So what I wanted to have a few words today about is the subject of motivation as it applies to strength training as a basic principle. Specifically, the belief that you need to be motivated in order to train effectively. You know, the belief that you need to be motivated in order to be successful at strength training. Now, I'm a huge fan and a big believer in the importance of uh, positive thinking books and CDs. You know, I think that books that keep your training um, and your thinking positive and constructive are, are vitally important for life and for, for keeping your thinking and beliefs on a positive track. Um, and, it's, of course, it's in, important to maintain a good attitude. But it is important, I believe, to, to keep in mind the distinction between positive attitudes and motivation. You know, I do not believe... Uh, that a person involved in strength training, that's seriously involved in strength training, or, or indeed any constructive pursuit, I don't believe they need to be a slave to the, to the fickle whims of motivation. Because motivation comes and goes, it's transient. Um, when you have it, it's great. When you're motivated, it's fantastic. But when you don't have it, if you're totally reliant on it, you, when it's gone, you're left high and dry. Unless you have something more solid um, to hold everything together, to back it up. Um, what a person needs to cultivate, I believe, at the, at the beginning of their training career, and actually, in fact, throughout their training career, is not motivation as such, it's purpose. A, a person needs to answer the question, why? You know, why do I want to be stronger and better built? Why is it important for me to get to the gym and to be consistent with my training and my eating and my sleeping and to maintain good habits? Why am I doing this? You have to know the question. You have to answer the question, why? Because when you answer that question, that particular question, why, what happens then is that you connect to your purpose 
the purpose which is unique to you. And when you connect to that purpose, beyond all thought, when you connect to it deep inside, that will carry you through all the difficult times when you, when you feel a lack of motivation. Um, speaking personally, I mean, I, I've been training myself for over 40 years. Uh, in that time, motivation in its purest form, I guess it's had very little to do with my training. You go and see a Rocky film or you, you get particularly hyped up by a book you're reading or, or something and you feel its fires burning within you for a little while and it, and it fuels things. Um, but the, the vast majority of my training, you know, has and um, is fueled by a deeper sense of purpose. And that purpose for me is a willingness to endure to get what I want. You know, it's much brighter and more spiritual than the dim lights of transient motivation. And at the same time, it's filled with a, a kind of grim determination, a dark, grim determination to get what I want. You know, it's the, it's the difference between a weekend warrior or a, or a bench press and curl obsessed guy, you know, who only does it for cosmetics. Um, and it's the difference between that and the lifer, you know, the person who truly loves hard training, the lifestyle of it and, and the history of the iron game. You know, it's a part of who you are. That connects all to my purpose, why I want to, to keep training and to do the things I do, the healthy lifestyle choices that I make day to day, whether I feel like it or not. Um, and, you know, for people who struggle to stick to a proper strength training program in its entirety, I think you really, you need to take a mental leap away from transient motivation and connect your training to a deeper purpose. Ask the question, why? Why am I training? Consistently ask that question and think about it. You know, connect to your purpose and then get busy uh, training to achieve the goals you've set before yourself, regardless of whether you feel like it or not. Stri I guess what I'm trying to say is strive to become the kind of person who doesn't necessarily need to be motivated to get the job done. That in itself is internally motivating. You know, realize that you don't need to be jazzed up or pumped up or hyped up, take a pre-workout supplement or read a muscle magazine before you go training. You know, you don't need to be jazzed up, pumped up, hyped up. But what you do need to be, you need to show up. You need to get to the gym. You know, whether, whether you feel like it or not, just get to the gym and the results will come. Do the work and the results will come. When you become that kind of person, you know, you can get the job done regardless of how you feel. You know, then you can take your training as far as you want it to go. Um... A great book I always like to, to, on this subject, is leave a recommendation for a book. And a great book on the subject of motivation, and it's myths, uh, is a book called Constructive Living by David Reynolds. You know, it, it really dispels the myths of motivation, and it, and it shows, you know, just how to get on with your life and your training, whether you feel like it or not. Okay. So that's all I wanted to say this week, Bob. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Uh, it's always a pleasure. 
and uh, I hope to speak to you again soon. Bye. Great job, Ted. I love what you said about purpose, and I totally agree with it. I just have a slight semantics disagreement, mainly with the author of the book that you mentioned. I don't agree with his negative definition of motivation. Uh, motivation to me is not just a warm and fuzzy feeling you get from listening to high-energy rock and roll. You know, in my definition, purpose is the driving force in motivation. If you look at the root word in motivation, you know, the M-O-T, the moat, it's just like in motor learning or motor for your car. You know, it means to move. So motivation is something that moves you to reach your goals or moves you towards success. In my opinion, purpose is the main element in true motivation. I can hear the voice of Napoleon Hill saying definiteness of purpose in my head. I used to listen to his tapes just over and over and over, and I still do. That was one of the key components of, you know, of his uh, talks. You know, he always said definiteness of purpose. So I guess it's just a semantic thing, you know, because, you know, we call all those guys like Zig Ziglar and Napoleon Hill. I mean, we call them motivational speakers and we, and we call their their tapes and uh, CDs motivational tapes or motivational CDs. So maybe we should just rename them <laughs> the purpose tapes or the purpose CDs. I don't know. In this day and age, we, we, we're so hung up on words and changing definitions and stuff. So I think this is just another one of those things. So I think it's really just semantics, but I do know what you mean. We totally agree on the main message, which was purpose. And there's also intrinsic motivation, extrinsic motivation, you know, like internal and external motivation and countless of other definitions, just like there's countless of other uh, forms of psychology. So I think the author of that book is just redefining motivation in a negative way to make a name for himself and sell books. I, I just don't want to give the impression that I'm throwing all the great motivational speakers under the bus. So, you know, I had to just say something because I love those guys. So, uh, but basically, I love what you said. So I'm focusing on the main, uh, the main topic of what you were talking about was purpose, not the semantical issues. So I love what you said about purpose. Great job, Ted. And and if we finally found something after all these years that we dis that we disagree with, who cares? <laughs> it makes the show even better. No two people agree on everything, right? But, but I think we do agree, and this is just a semantical issue, a, semantic, a semantics issue. So great job, Ted Buddy, okay? And uh, I'll see you next time. Don't be a flamingo, you have to do your squat. Don't be a flamingo, real lifters work their legs. Hi, Bob. This is Donald Stiller from Fort Pierce, Florida. Thanks for having me on the show. The gym I go to for my cardio, Planet Fitness, is full of flamingos. They look like they spend after life in a wheelchair. I try to tell guys all the time that they don't uh, are not really weightlifters if they don't work their legs. They use a power rack for curls, and uh, I'm so glad I do my strength training with you, Bob. See you next week. Don't 
be a flamingo You have to do your squats Don't be a flamingo Real lifters work their legs That's going to do it for this edition of Natural Strength Night on MindForceRadio.com. Please bookmark that website, MindForceRadio.com. Bob is always looking for new writers for NaturalStrength.com who are old school, hardcore, write with passion, and have a strong anti-steroid stance. He also wants your training questions so they can be answered on the show. Please send your articles and training questions to Bob at MindForceRadio at Earthlink.net. Thanks for listening. See you next time.